Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. My name is Ryan Stacey and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, you can visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm drawn by Scott Masters. Today I'm drawn by Scott Masters, co-founder of LaCroix Hockey. Scott is an experienced hockey mind, having spent time with four NHL organizations working in both video and scouting positions. His modern approach to the game has led to great success, and as you'll hear, he is now taking on the game of hockey through a different lens, which offers a unique perspective for our listeners. With that, I'm happy to present Scott Masters, co-founder of LaCroix Hockey. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Scott Masters, co-founder of LaCroix Hockey. Scott, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Yeah, it's great to have you on and learn more about your career. Um, you know, we've been connected on LinkedIn for some time, and I kind of have followed you along with you just to see how you've kind of gone through uh, multiple NHL destinations while also having some other unique experiences. So a lot to unpack and a lot for listeners that I'm sure they'll love to sink their teeth into, but uh, starting off, maybe let's just learn more about you and give some background to listeners. Maybe talk about your upbringing, uh, playing sports in your early years, and again, just give some more background on you as a person. Yeah, um, I'm a Colorado native, born and raised in Denver. Played hockey at a young age, and, and my older brother played hockey, and so I got connected, uh, started playing when I was four and five, and just uh, fell in love with the sport, which a lot of people do, and obviously most of your listeners do, and um, I was, uh, you know, uh, just one of the local in Denver, at least hockey wasn't as big as it is now. And the emergence of, of the avalanche here to Denver really boosted amateur hockey here. Um, but that was before my time. And so I just stayed with the sport, um, and didn't, uh, pursue anything. I pursued golf in, in college. So I, I kind of deterred away from hockey, but uh, then, uh, I was lucky enough to get back into it. Um, lucky enough to doing the internships in UMass Amherst and, uh, Florida Panthers and things just kind of went my way where I got onto the hockey outside and, uh, worked my way up and, um, made my way through four organizations or NHL organizations and university of Denver, uh, as assistant coach and, um, back to Denver now as uh, an advisor in a new company that we're really excited about. 
yeah, it's quite the story and definitely we'll get to each and every stop and kind of go through each uh, position in more detail, but definitely very interesting um, just how much success you had at the NHL level and going through some different organizations. So let's uh, let's start off from the beginning there with the first NHL organization um, working in a kind of a hybrid role, a video coach and a little bit of scouting as well with the Florida Panthers. Maybe just walk us through exactly how that opportunity came about and then what that initial NHL experience was like for you. Yeah, that was uh, interesting. I took a um, an internship at that time and I was uh, probably 22. Uh, a friend uh, with the Boston Bruins kind of said, hey, the Florida Panthers are hiring a communications intern uh, opportunity to be in the NHL. I said, yes, it was $500 a month. Uh, I was lucky enough to know someone in Fort Lauderdale, uh, slept on their couch um, just running papers and writing and it wasn't a hockey ops position by any means, but it gave me, um, the, the opportunity to be around hockey operations. And then that developed into something that people weren't aware of and people didn't know of. And, and that was video. And that was probably, I was probably maybe one of the first 10 teams or Florida was just getting into video and, uh, so they said, "Hey, we need someone to kind of run this, and why don't you uh, why don't you help us out?" And so, of course, I jumped at the opportunity. Um, and I was supposed to split roles. I was supposed to be slash communications intern and slash hockey ops intern in charge of video, and still was making probably a thousand dollars per month. And it just snowballed from there. Video took over, and um, I ended up getting fired from my communications job just because I didn't have time for him which is kind of funny, but it just exploded. The video just kind of took over and uh, we turned into software and, and changed from BHS that whole year, my first year, and uh, it kind of went from there. Yeah, it, it's always um, very interesting just to see how you enter an organization. And I think the reality that a lot of people are, are seeing and definitely hearing from our guests on the podcast is very rarely do you just jump in um, in hockey operations. You know, it's usually through the business side or, or through a key connection where you kind of have to work your way um, maybe through some tough times, definitely uh, not a lot of pay there at the beginning and, and sleeping on your friend's couch and, and things like that. But uh, you know, you were able to go in there and be successful and, and kind of work through uh, what was relatively, as you mentioned as well, a new area of hockey operations with video and uh, probably not on the same uh, level or efficiency as it is today with, with VHS and, and all the kinks around that. But Again, you were able to kind of take it and, and learn that aspect of hockey operations and coaching and and uh, kind of develop a niche. My first couple of months was on how what well, you were talking about, how the difference of, of scouting is in video in, in today's age was, you know, very probably half the teams were even dipping their toes into in video. But in the first two or three months, I was carrying around a 20 inch TV with a VCR in it and connecting it, uh, wrapping it with uh Gatorade towels and, and hockey tape and so it wouldn't get damaged coming in and out of hotels and and uh, carrying around 50 to 100 different VHS tapes and uh, doing deck to deck recorders which <laughs> maybe a lot of your uh, listeners don't even know what VHS tapes are but that's uh, that's how much it's changed over my my career in, in hockey and it's uh, it's just crazy to look back on it and that's what we did. Yeah, and it, again, the evolution uh, both on and off the ice has been big over the years, and I think every year you're seeing changes that uh, you know you never would have expected. And 
uh, following your time with Florida, you actually went back uh, to the college level or, or definitely not back, but, uh, you know, a different experience there with the University of Denver. And, uh, you know, the NCAA, again, a very different level than the NHL, different circumstances with student athletes involved. So maybe just talk about exactly how um, you kind of found yourself in that situation and then uh, just the process that you went through that year uh, and the difference working at the NCAA level. Yeah, and again, I was uh, extremely lucky to get that role with the University of Denver. They were coming back. Uh, it was uh, the year after back-to-back national titles. Um, George Gwazdecki, who's a great coach, and, and give, gave me the opportunity to be a volunteer coach at that time, uh, just because NCAA just has so many restrictions on, obviously, how many coaches they can have. But I was switching gears, and I was open to so many different levels of hockey um, and given that opportunity, I, I just jumped on it. It was extremely different, obviously, from pros to uh, amateur as far as their um, how they handle things and, and a lot more, you know, hands-on, one-on-one uh, with, with the players at the NCAA level compared to the pro level. Uh, we're talking because, you know, I, I remember dealing with Paul Valbury, right, who was making $10 million a year and um trying to get him to watch video was somewhat impossible and in no way that he was going to be interested in that compared to a ncaa athlete um watching video and and being a little bit more open-minded uh to it um not saying that pavel was wrong but pavel was obviously a natural talent um and the ncaa level obviously a great talent as well as in, in Carl who won the Hobie Baker that year that we were there. And, uh, but he was a little bit more in depth and in tune with his off ice training and off ice video watching and, and learning the game a little bit more. Uh, so that was the biggest adjustment for me. Um, and knowing the kids, kids, young adults needed to keep track of their a- academics. And that's the difference between NCAA coaches and, and pro coaches uh, there's a lot more involved as far as uh, mentoring a kid and uh, advising and, and coaching them to be good pros or be good people as they get older uh, and uh, maybe not even in the hockey world, uh, but in just in the professional world. No, most definitely. I, I think it's something that a lot of people don't really factor into the, the process, maybe as much as they should, just from an outside perspective, looking in, you know, the, the college athlete, the college student athlete, it's it just takes on a, a whole nother uh, dimension in coaching and, and mentoring. Uh, and, and then again, with the video, like you mentioned, uh, going to an NHL athlete or an NHL player who has had a lot of success and trying to introduce something which still at the time was was fairly new um, in, in terms of a day to day routine and, and then doing the same with the a student who's kind of looking to uh, make that jump to the NHL level, you know, their understanding and their acceptance of it may be a little bit different. So that's a, a great point as well. Yeah. The, the funniest story I have the, for the two comparisons there is in Florida. And this is just back to Paulville. And just cause I just remember it, I was so young and, and not knowing how to approach these big time athletes. And uh, Mike Keenan was, my boss or was the head coach of the Florida Panthers at the time. And he was not happy with Paul. Well, so um, he wanted uh, me to make him a tape uh, <laughs> for him to take home and watch. And I just was thinking there's no way he's going to watch this, uh, creating his shifts and putting them on a VHS type. And I gave it to him and I could just imagine him taking it home. And he was dating Anna Konnikova and 
I can just a big tennis star at the time and living in South Beach, I just was kind of laughing. There's no way he was going to go home and sit on the couch with Anna and watch video uh, that Mike <laughs> Iron Mike Keenan wanted him to watch. Um, but it's, that was my job. I had to do it. It took me at the time too. It was crazy. It took probably two, an hour or two hours for me to put that that film together just of one game uh, of his chefs, which is crazy. So it's it's definitely changed on that point. Yeah, I, I think people are definitely more efficient with the software now, being able to do that a lot quicker. But um, an interesting story for sure. And you know, at every level and every team you go to, you learn uh, new aspects and you interact with new people and, and kind of take things from them. And uh, the next position I want to talk about is your time in St. Louis. Uh, now back in the NHL, again, in a video coaching role. Maybe just talk about the difference in your role this time around, uh, if any, and then the, uh, the maybe the changing landscape um, of video coaching back at the NHL level again. Yeah, and again, I, I'm very lucky to to gain that position as well. And um, uh, a great man in my kitchen hired me uh, at that time, and he didn't last very long in St. Louis. It's just St. Louis Blues were not very good at that at that time. But uh, just still transitioning from uh, as far as the video side and, and getting into video coaching and more of a scouting role into St. Louis. That's kind of where I transitioned a little bit in my career from video coaching to to scouting was I knew probably at the University of Denver that I was more of a scout and management side. Uh, my personality and what I preferred and what I enjoyed was more on that management side than coaching on, on ice coaching at University of Denver. So this really transitioned myself. I was able Doug Armstrong was able to give me a lot of opportunities as far as different aspects of the position, meaning video coaching, video, video roles, uh, and then uh, gradually getting into video scouting on the pro level, amateur level, and getting out to see some amateur games when we we're out, um, out traveling on away games as well. So technology was still advancing. We were still maybe at that time we were one of the very first teams that was doing, you know, video behind the bench, meaning the coaches can go behind the bench and, and pick up an iPad or pick up those things. And that was really, you know, the transition. So now it's all everywhere, right? It's just coaches have multiple angles, multiple levels of watching. And, and so that was a, a transition during that time that where uh, technology was just taking over the sport. Yeah. And, and again, the evolution continue, but it's interesting just to see um, how you're able to kind of morph it into, a, a, you know, two roles there with the scouting as well and video scouting, uh, something we're seeing more and more today. Uh, it was interesting just to see how, how maybe that was implemented early on. And, uh, you know, whenever you're in, in these situations and, and, you know, trying new things, it's always important to have people who are uh, willing to give you a little bit of extra rope, as they say, and it seems like uh, Armstrong was was someone that was willing to give you that uh, that flexibility and really uh, that freedom, which again at the highest levels we don't always see. So um, it's very interesting just how you were able to kind of build that um, situation there and and kind of learn both sides of the the hockey operations field. Yeah, and that's really just hard. Not saying that where I got was based on hard work world i mean i obviously I, w I wasn't canadian and never played professional hockey so i was a little bit behind the eight ball and i had to work maybe a little bit harder than everyone else but i was passionate about what i was doing for for the blues or the panthers or uh avalanche or 
and the, and the Canadians, all these positions I had a lot of passion for and I cared deeply, which came across as maybe my work was, was good and people trusted in what I did. And Doug Armstrong was probably a great uh, mentor in that program where he was open-minded to all different aspects. He believed in pro scouts in the field. He believed in amateur scouts in the field. Um, and he also believed in analytics and analytics was coming big into that, that time, that era. And he loved uh, scouting video uh, for pros and trades and free agencies. And so he gave me the opportunity to, to do some of that scouting via video on the pro level and break it down. And then obviously a technology, I could do so much more uh, or scouts and, and hockey operations can do so much more with the technology where in, in basically in matters of seconds, you can get player shifts and, break it down to I want to see Nathan McKinnon versus you know um, Drew Doughty you know every time they're on the ice together it's it's that simple and that that complex and uh, that's Doug really enjoyed seeing those all those different aspects and so that's why we connected and we're able to uh, grow my roles within that organization yeah no I think it's an outstanding opportunity and when you have someone that's so open-minded it definitely goes far and uh, again, it's still amazing just that you can go into that detail with video and see someone like Nathan McKinnon again uh, on against a player like Drew Doughty and and McKinnon, you know, a, a very good player for the Colorado Avalanche. And ironically, that would be your next stop uh, at the NHL level, being able to kind of work in your with your home team again as an analyst and also a scout. So break down your experience in Colorado, including how you uh, found yourself there, and then uh, again just walk through the opportunity and the experience overall yeah overall i'm gonna say be i'll i'm always usually really honest now that i'm not employed by an nhl club i've kind of been um kept my mouth shut over the years and my experience with the Colorado avalanche wasn't that great um and it was disappointing it was kind of heartbreaking because i grew up you know in in 96 i remember Quebec moving and, and it was such a big time in, in Colorado and they were such a great team and winning the cup and all in the same year. And I grew up a huge Patrick Wall fan. Um, I just loved the Montreal Canadiens when I was little and it was in 87 when they won the cup and Patrick won his first cup. And then in 93, we didn't have a team here in Colorado. So I just kind of gravitated to towards goalies, even though I didn't play goalie, he was my idol and someone I looked up to and, for him to be traded that year too from from Montreal to Colorado is uh, you know, it was crazy. It was a great year for in 96, 97 when when that whole avalanche thing came. So I always had a goal to or a dream to become a, a part of the avalanche in some ways. And uh, I have was given the opportunity. Um, it was nothing against St. Louis at all. I loved my time in St. Louis. I just had an opportunity to, to come back to Denver and, and work for the team that was truly closest to my heart um and kind of given a hybrid role there too where i was doing video uh coaching uh scouting and working on analytics and salary cap with then uh the general manager greg sherman uh over overseen by pierre lacroix so uh different aspects growing roles growing my knowledge of the sport working on on uh contracts uh just working on the overall numbers of budgeting and things and so uh half the morning i was working in my track suit and the other half i was working you know almost in a suit level um mentality um so it was a great opportunity um and i but it was short-lived there was a lockout uh the team wasn't very good 
uh, at the end of the year, uh, changes were made. And, and, and ironically, Patrick Waugh was the one that came in and uh, he took over the staff. And I still to this day, as Patrick Waugh being my idol and the person I looked up to, and I was just sitting there and saying, wow, like Joe Sackick is the general manager and Patrick Waugh is the head coach. These are people I was watching in 96 raise that cup and now I'm working for them. And uh, unfortunately, Patrick Waugh made his change and I've never met him. <laughs> he, uh, I found out via Twitter that he, he let me go. Um, it's just kind of one of those weird things about the sport. And uh, yeah, it, unfortunately, it only lasted a year and uh, had to move on from there. Yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate how it ended, but I, I think anytime you get the opportunity to at, at least see, um, you know, what what could happen in your hometown with your hometown team, a team that you said you, that you, uh, you know, you're able to admire and watch when you were younger. There, there is a positive there for sure. And as we know, a lot of times when new management come in or new coaches come in, definitely the staff or scouting staff, wherever the situation may be, um, a lot of times they are cleared out. And, and that's, again, the nature of the business. And soon after that time, you actually had another short opportunity with Hockey USA working as a video coordinator for one of the world championships, I believe. Maybe walk us through that opportunity. And, and again, you know, very different than some of the team settings where it is a tournament style. Uh, just talk about how you were able to go in there and how that entire experience went for you in the end. Yeah, that was a great experience, a very uh, short uh, opportunity. Uh, that was with Joe Sacco was the head coach and he gave me the opportunity and we were working together at the Colorado Avalanche at that time. He was just let go. I was still kind of in that limbo stage when we went to uh, the World Championships, but he gave me that opportunity with some other great coaches as well. So uh, just being a part of staffs and the general managers on those levels are just great to listen to. I just remember going to dinners and listening to the, the, the Talons and the, um, you know, all these great USA advisors. And it was a Brian Burks and um, all these great hockey minds and successful hockey minds. The David Poyles were all part of that team. And plus the coaching staff of David Quinn, Joe Sacco, uh, Tim Army, um, you know, just great, great hockey minds and just experiencing it. Even if it was, it was only four or five weeks uh, and it's a tournament level. So everything's ramped up um, and we were pretty successful uh, beating the Russians, which was a huge thing when Ovechkin and all these kids, all these these players lost out in the playoffs and they came over and they were supposed to destroy us. And uh, the underdog USA team was able to pull off a bronze. It was a great experience. Anytime you can go into a situation with, uh, you know, a national level team and definitely, uh, you know, U.S. at the World Championships, it's a, a huge honor, I'm sure. And then to have success against players that definitely people would recognize the Ovechkins of the world and yeah. and the other elite players there as well. It's uh, it's something unique. And I always like asking people about these international styles just because, you know, it's it's so different than a regular season because a lot of times, you know, while you may know a few people, uh, or have a connection to get there. A lot of times you're working with a completely different staff. Uh, the players are coming from different teams, different programs, and the opportunity to work for the same team is definitely what drives everybody. But uh, there's still that level of uncertainty in terms of not having the cohesion and things like that of a of a regular season team. Yeah, it's it's unique. It's it's a special event, especially when you succeed at it, and the team kind of just comes together, and it's just a learning experience. I think players and staff 
kind of learn off of each other and see how other teams work as far as like i said that the management level of that was just uh the advisory committee that ran usa hockey same with team canada is just the the resources they have are just phenomenal so any player any coach any any staff member that is able to give those opportunities or able to get those opportunities is is a once in a lifetime type of thing and and they should cherish it no a great a great point and talking about opportunities we keep going along your career and uh, your last tenure or most recent tenure in the NHL was actually with an original six team in the Montreal Canadiens working as a working as a scout this time around talk about that opportunity to work with uh, a team and a team that you said that you followed uh, early in the early stages as well and and also maybe walk us through a typical week in that scouting role and uh, the possible integration of video as well. Yeah, complete honor uh, to be a part of the original six and probably the most, uh, one of the best franchises in all the sports and all in, in the country, North America, and, and maybe the world. Uh, that's a special logo. It's a special organization. Um, and it was a, a great privilege and honor to work for them uh, and had a lot. And my, my whole career kind of came around in circles and it's about establishing those relationships and maybe the first year in or the second year in Florida helped me get the job 20 years later where Rick Dudley was a general manager of the Florida Panthers. He got to know me. He gave me a lot of opportunities. He promoted me to a coach in Florida from coordinator to coach, uh, put me on the ice. And then 20 years later or 15 years later, he hires me. Uh, He's assistant general manager in Montreal. Uh, same with uh, Scott Mellenby, who I work with in St. Louis. They hire me. They uh, they entrusted in me to uh, do college free agent scouting. Um, and it evolved from college free agent scouting to pro scouting. And uh, it, a great opportunity. It was just awesome. Uh, but it also allowed me to live in Denver still. So the beginning of college free agent scouting was every weekend, just a different city, different different player that I'm trying to watch. And uh, get get those uh, inside scoops on players that are not drafted um, and try to get them signed or see if we can get them signed to an NHL contract. Uh, we were lucky that first year and, and signed a great young player in Daniel Carr, who was uh, just a, a great addition to our team and maybe not an everyday pro, but a true smart player who was, uh, who I was proud to under my belt or as far as my first signing as a college free agent scout uh after that it kind of drifted to um the pro scouting and so that was maybe probably a different different city different day four or five days per week uh on the road different cities uh vancouver one day san jose the next uh just watching my teams um which four or five scouts per team they divide the league up uh you're responsible for those teams uh, and that was fan. I loved it. it obviously, anybody, I would say there wasn't a day that I was like, hey, my work sucks. Uh, I really never considered it work. I just always said it, my commute sucks <laughs> uh, going to, you know, Calgary or Edmonton and, uh, you know, in the winter or things like that. That's uh, that's the only hard part about it. But uh, it was it was a joy and it was uh, pretty easy to do as far as getting motivation to do my job. Definitely. I, I think anytime you can go and watch hockey for a career, as I've said numerous, numerous times on the podcast, it's uh, it's definitely it doesn't feel like a job at the end of the day. And just talking about the experience there and being able to uh, work with college free agents, you know, it's something that 
uh, is definitely growing in terms of its impact. We're seeing more and more players make that jump uh, late in their development and, and be impact players. And ironically, Daniel Carr is someone I got to watch a lot uh, during his time uh, in Montreal St. John's affiliate. We interrupt my tangent on Newfoundland hockey to tell you about the NFL and how the first Sunday of the NFL season is here. And the excitement continues with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. DraftKings is giving all new customers a can't-miss offer to celebrate the return of the NFL season. Bet just $1 on any football game this weekend and receive $200 in free bets instantly no matter what. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any week one game. That's promo code THPN to get your free $200 in free bets instantly. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Now back to the interview with Scott Masters. Following your time with Montreal and having that experience, uh, now today you're kind of in a different situation, not in the team setting, but uh, as an advisory and, and kind of working in that avenue. So while uh, a different path for you, for sure, maybe just break down the decision to create your own brand and, and provide some more background on exactly what it is you're you're doing and plan to do here in the near future. Yeah, it, it, like I mentioned before, my transition from Denver to St. Louis from coach to, you know, another coaching, but more a scouting level and more management level position is what I kind of always wanted to do. So uh, advising and management or becoming an agent was was something that I always really enjoyed and wanted to get to know a little bit better. And college free agent scouting was 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 a huge part of my growth and education and and love for that part where I was dealing with agents, dealing with players, uh, talking contracts, talking uh, just on the on the pro on the on the team side uh, allows me to transition to the advising side now where I know uh, what teams are thinking um what players are thinking and so this kind of just gave me we just kind of came together in the last two years um the pandemic definitely hurt us last year to come put our thoughts together and and make it uh realistic and make it uh actually live and and knowing eric lacroix and and working with eric lacroix and, and under pierre lacroix in colorado was a great honor uh and now we're trying to uh, build on the legacy that uh, the late Pierre had a uh, very successful um, uh, agent back in Quebec and a very successful, obviously, general manager in the National Hockey League, multiple cups. Uh, so Eric is uh, is interested in, in building off of what his dad created, and that's how we created Lacroix Hockey. Uh, his name, Pierre's name, and the Lacroix name in hockey is, is fantastic. Um, and it's an honor to be a co-owner and, and co-creator of this, this new brand. Um, and we're, we're looking to, we're not looking to jump in, you know, we're not looking to change the world, but we're looking to change, um, how kids are able to grow in, in hockey. And even at the starting the young age of five or six and hockey is a serious sport in, in a lot of states and, 
especially Denver now where we're able to um, advise kids on all levels from five to pro levels, uh, pro players that are established in the NHL. So we're not there yet. We're starting off small and starting um, starting to spread the word on what we're doing. But there's a lot of things going on in, with Lacroix hockey and um, building performance centers and building uh, a, a spot in the community where kids can go and train outside of their teams um, and get a different perspective from a third party that's going to be honest, um, truthful, um, very educational. And we want to we want to have our clients well versed in all levels. So we believe in mental health. We believe in nutrition. We believe in education. Uh, so we want these clients to uh, succeed on all levels, not just on the ice, but in as a person, uh, as a player, and uh, as they grow into young adults or professionals, that they're well-rounded in all verses and, and understand how to, you know, study, how to take care of themselves mentally, how to take care of themselves physically, and then when they get older and make a little bit more money, how they contribute to the community and how they take care of their finances, all those things that we want to take care of our clients in all manners. So it's a, it's, it's an exciting time and, and we're going to enjoy the ride. Yeah. It sounds like a, a very exciting uh, venture and, and something that uh, is definitely there for all the right reasons. You know, when you talk about uh, advising and working with players, especially at the younger ages and, and a lot of times, uh, maybe even players that don't really have the the, the familiarity with the, the industry. Maybe it's someone that's uh, kind of the first in their family to go into that avenue. It's, it's always important to have someone who really understands the industry and understands uh, the proper way to, to kind of navigate through it. And with your experience and definitely the, the family name and the family ties uh, on the other side as well, it's, uh, it's very important that that is kind of the way that you guys go. And it seems like you guys are doing it the right way. And maybe just moving into uh, some more reflective questions here, as opposed to just the experiences that you've had to date. Uh, you know, how, how important do you feel it has been working in the team setting, you know, in the NHL and, and being in that scouting role before working in an advisory role where uh, you're now primarily focusing on, you know, individual players in a, in a very different light. Yeah, it's completely different. Or my roles from start to finish in my years in Florida was, you know, very low, low uh, position or low on the totem pole where um, I was going to do anything and basically team player, um, meaning that's the team environment, right? There's a lot of different aspects that go on within the team um, that make it successful. And um what Eric and I are bringing to this new company and this, and this management advising role is that our experience within, within those roles from coaching to video into scouting into management and contracts. Like we have 50 years of experience um, together in those things. And so we are able to give our clients um, those, our experiences and, and advise them in that way from being an individual to a team player. And they're both, um, very important, but they're both different in, uh, in the devising role. So we, Eric and I have both have, uh, the experience, like I said, um, and, uh, they're completely different and, and we're excited to be on this level of being one-on-one, uh, and changing or helping these kids 
at all levels, right, on a one-on-one -on -one basis and not not just the, the team aspect. No, a great point. And again, it seems like you're doing it for the right reasons and, and doing it properly. And, and just talking about some of your experiences and things that you've learned along the way. Uh, one thing that a lot of people like to ask scouts and, and kind of hear more about is the situation in scouting for a rebuilding team. Uh, definitely, there's a lot more uh, stock put into the, the draft picks. And it's uh, kind of a, uh, you know, more of a certainty needed at that time, just because you do need those picks and need them to develop. So as a scout, is there a difference in your approach or a difference in your mindset when scouting for a rebuilding team? And, uh, you know, if it does change, uh, in what way does it change for you personally? Well, I think every scout, I, I think that comes from the leadership, the general manager uh, on down. So the general manager, everyone has their roles. And it's important for when you're in the scouting role or coaching role uh, to know your role and to know your position. Um, and the same with hockey is you do, you, you do your job, your defenseman or your forward or right wing or whatever, and left wing lock and all these things. That's your job, you know, to stay in position and let your teammates do the rest. And that's very similar to how staffs are run too. So the general manager would give uh, ideas on what he thinks the team is going in the direction. But as far as scouts, you do your job. Um, as, as a college free agent scout, I would go see him and, and just say, Hey, this is who I think I like. There's a list. And then general manager make the decision off of that. Um, and same with pro uh, scouting for, say Montreal, um, where the general manager, Mark Bergevin, would give his thoughts to the staff, say, hey, this is what we're going to do this year. This is our goals in two years. But in general, the scouts does their job. They go and uh, watch players. It doesn't matter about uh, rebuild or a contending team. You're, you're scouting players individually. Um, but the general manager will give guidance and say, hey, this is what we need. Uh, to make the playoffs. So let's keep an eye on, you know, a left shot defenseman. Let's keep an eye on, you know, a backup goaltender, things like that. They would give you, and that gets a little bit more detailed in your search. But most of the time you're still doing your basic job of covering the Canucks or covering the San Jose Sharks or covering the, the Barracudas of, you know, the San Jose minor league team. And that's your role. Um, and then, but the general manager may give you uh, certain, certain jobs or certain uh, targets to watch. Uh, but other than that, you stay within your, your lane and know your job and know that the amateur scouts are doing their job and vice versa. Um, and everyone's doing what they need to, to make the team better. No, uh, another great point there. And just talking about the doing your role, you know, some people, it's just another perspective that a lot of people don't get to see kind of behind the scenes in these conversations with general managers and, uh, definitely something that's very interesting and you can learn a lot, especially from those conversations. And another way that a lot of people like to learn from is, is resources and whether that's books, articles, podcasts like this, uh, you know, presentations, conferences, the, the list is very extensive. Uh, for you personally, Scott, do you have any uh, references or things that you look to for new ideas that you might want to share with listeners today? I'm I'm more people person and I, I've always learned from hands-on things. Um, and so I get contacted quite a bit on LinkedIn as far as uh, young professionals in the hockey industry, you know, how to get to, how to get to these roles and how to get to these positions. And it's really hard to, to really give them the correct um, advice because it, it's such a hard position uh, and, and 
profession to get into. Everyone loves professional sports or everyone or everyone that does knows that they're going to take that job for 500 bucks a month. Right. Um, so I just think, you know, stay, find those podcasts that you really enjoy. Listen to these, the, the people with the experience um, and see how they did it. And I think it always comes back to besides the natural talent of players, like I mentioned, the Pavel Burries, who's crazy, right? Or uh, the Nathan McKinnons or the, the McDavid's of the world who are extreme, right? That's not the everyday people that run the businesses. Everyday people in marketing and sales and all those things are, are based on hard work. Uh, and that's what kind of I come back to. And that's what I connect to uh, with on, on books wise and podcasts and, and how people succeed is, is keeping their head down, um, meaning grinding, hard work, uh, and getting getting through what they need to do and, and doing your job correctly and, and with passion and excitement. No, that's a, a, another great point to add to the interview. And, uh, you know, resources, a lot of people tend to kind of go to written sources and things like that. But you're like me in the way that you enjoy conversations more and find you get more from that. And a lot of times these conversations uh, at the end of the day be, end up being with mentors and people who kind of point you in the right direction throughout your career. So, uh, Scott, again, for you, who are maybe some of those mentors who helped you along the way? And uh, collectively, what are some of the lessons that they taught you overall? Yeah, the very first one, and I mentioned his name was Rick Dudley in Florida. He, he just gave me, and you connect with certain people in your career, and it doesn't matter which profession that you're in, that you connect with certain superiors or uh, bosses more than others. And I was able to connect uh, with Rick Dudley, and he was given he, he believed me, he believed in me and, and for whatever reason. Right. Um, but we were able to connect and he was, he's advised me, um, as a coach, as a scout, uh, throughout my career, uh, even if we weren't working together and even if we weren't on the same teams, he was still a friend and a, a mentor to me and it's graduated from there. Like I have a great respect. I have a great, uh, was able to work under great coaches of the, uh, Mike Keenan and and obviously he's a top 10 winning coach and people will have their opinions on Mike Iron Mike but he he taught me some things some things that other coaches don't and and the Ken Hitchcock's a great another great coach and and Doug Armstrong on how he able to run teams and the Joe Sackick's on uh, Joe Sack is a different mindset and how he carries himself as a, a true professional and as a as a great person you just kind of grab onto these these are the people that have made a difference for me um and uh once you find them you know that who they are and um you just connect with them and, and try to stay and, and learn as much as you can from them and um that's uh that's just the personal growth and professional growth definitely definitely there's so many great people in the industry and uh you know a pretty elite list when you when you look at the names that you just mentioned there with a lot of nhl experience uh, both on and off the ice for some of them and and then, you know, you, you take these different aspects that they taught you, the advice, just the things that you you notice in, the, in their daily approach to different situations. And you kind of put it into your own practice as you go through your career. And uh, definitely a, a lot of uh, experience in the game now for you. You've been in multiple teams, multiple situations, and now move into that next step. But uh, you, you mentioned that a lot of people are still reaching out to you on LinkedIn asking, you know, how do you get into scouting? How do you get into the game? And and maybe what those first steps are. So if you could go back in time to yourself, uh, maybe just looking to get into the game or 
again, have a conversation with some of these people who are looking to take their first steps. What's one final piece of advice that you would give them in hopes that they would be successful? I think do what you, what truly, uh, do something that you truly love. Um, and that was easy for me to take the roles of, you know, of internships and, and to work my ass off and 60 hour weeks for really nothing pay wise is because I didn't consider it work. It just was something I really, really enjoyed and wanted to succeed in. And I think for people, they need to find whatever profession that is in sales and marketing and uh, coaching and scouting, whatever it is uh, to find what they really are passionate about um, and then go after it. And you may sacrifice a year or two by getting another education, by getting your master's or by getting, uh, you know, taking an internship for nothing, but it's really hard profession to get into. And so you're just going to have to take your lumps and, and, and work multiple jobs and uh, do what, what it takes to do what you love because it's going to pay off in the end because you're going to go to work every day happy uh, instead of, uh, you know, sacrifice, instead of settling for a job that you don't really love. No, I, I think that's spot on. Just again, you, you when you do something you enjoy and something you're passionate about, uh, it only makes it easier and, and to put the extra work in the 60 hour weeks, the 60 plus hour weeks, the long road trips, all these different things associated with the game and, and hockey operations specifically. But whether it's hockey operations, marketing, business, any area of the field, uh, you know, again, do, do what you enjoy and you'll never work a day in your life. So, Scott, with that, I think that's a great uh, section to end the podcast here today. I just want to thank you again for for sharing your insight and all your different stops and also sharing some more information about your your upcoming uh, business. And again, I just want to thank you and, and wish you all the best here moving forward. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. All right. Take care. Thank you. Bye. One thing that fans within the game, hockey minds and players can agree upon is that when done responsibly, there's nothing better at the end of the day than a cold beer that you enjoy for both its taste and its aroma. And this segment of the Hockey Minds podcast is brought to you by Kitty Vitty Brewery. You can visit their tap room now open seven days a week and their new retail location in St. John's, Newfoundland at 16 Harborview Avenue. If you're one of those people who are maybe looking for some more entertainment, somewhere to sit with friends, you can definitely check out their original location in Kitty Vitty, Newfoundland. Join the Kitty Vitty Craft Club at kittyvittybrewery.ca and give them a follow on social media to keep up to date on the latest brew news. If you're not from Newfoundland and not from the East Coast and you want to get involved, definitely follow them on social media and learn more about their beer, which is great for a casual beer drinking fan and also the beer enthusiasts. And stay tuned, because who knows, maybe they'll find their way to get their beer to a location near you. Check out Kitty Vitty Brewery today for more information on their beer, clothing, and all things Kitty Vitty Brewery. I'd like to thank Scott for jumping on the podcast today and sharing the behind the scenes info of his career to date. He seems very excited for this next step and if his time in the NHL is any indication of his overall effort and mindset, he should see great success in this new venture. If you would like to get in touch with Scott to learn more about his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly or you can contact HockeyMindsPodcast at Outlook.com and I can help make that connection for you. Please keep an eye on our social media accounts as we announce a flurry of new guests spanning across various positions in the hockey operations field. Once again, thank you everyone for supporting the podcast and be sure to give us your thoughts and opinions on the show on our various social media platforms. As always, stay safe, 
and all the best.